Welcome back to part two of Nothing Never Happens and the interview with Dr. Erwin Leopondo, the author of A Pedagogy of Faith, The Theology of Paulo Freire. In the second segment, Leopondo is going to talk about Freire's involvement in the World Council of Churches and his concept of teaching as vocation and how those of us who teach in higher education are all, in some ways, failed Freireans. Yeah, and as soon as he went into exile, uh, the you know the first time to Bolivia, then there was a coup that followed soon yeah. after, and then he went to Chile, and you know that situation was not uh, very stable either. Um, mm-hmm. so, and he comes to the states, and well, uh, in the midst of the yeah. Cold War and the the sixties, you know, the Vietnam War yeah. and the rise of radicalism. Yeah, it's, it's, a, so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a little bit of of uh, perspective, you know. I mean, it, things, you know, things, things, you know, we we always have a bias towards the present, right? We we think, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. it's never been this bad. It's now it's just horrible. <laughs> this is absolute. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, <laughs> it's been worse. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Which means it can get better. Not that it will get better, but, you know, it mm-hmm. always can get better. Yeah. And, and we have, you know, more, more people to learn from and uh, those who struggled before. Uh, and tell mm-hmm. those stories. Well, I want to go to another part of his theological experience, which was when he was in the States, he got connected with the World Council of Churches. Um, and one of one of my favorite books of his, he wrote with Antonio Fondes, uh, Learning to Question. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he that was a, a dialogue they did in Geneva as part of the World Council of Churches. So, um, you know, that was, you know, in the 70s, 80s. Uh, I guess he did that book in the in the 1970s. Um, and you know the importance of uh, taking risk and questioning with um, your students and you know those who are fighting for political freedom. Um, so could you do you have anything you could say about that period uh, and how? The theologies um, and those that you, you know, uh, Taylor de Chardin and uh, and all the others um, that you talk about in your book, uh, you know, it seemed like that that was a pivotal time for those influences philosophically and theologically for him. Yeah, he, um, you know, he spent uh, a lot of the 1970s at the World Council of Churches. He was the head of their education um, outreach. So. Yeah. You know, it was um, a time when he was really flitting all over the world, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, for better, or for worse, right? Because, you know, yeah. it was an exciting time. It was a time of decolonization, um, you know, a lot of nation states um, you know, going through their um, early stages, you know. So he was invited to go to, um, you know, several countries and he helped set up some of the early educational programs, mm-hmm. literacy training programs. Um, 
you know, and so that was a wonderful thing. Um, and, you know, he always enjoyed, I think, um, meeting new people, very gregarious person, very curious. Um, but at the same time, you know, unlike his work in Brazil uh, and unlike his work in Chile, which I think are some of his most um, successful because they were the most sustained and in a lot of ways the most focused, I think his having to divide his attention, uh, you know, among many, many, many different sites uh, was not always a great thing yeah. because, you know, he would spend you know, 10 weeks in one place to move on. And, and the whole mm-hmm. um, foundation of his early work um, was you know, this very close, um, intimate investigation into the culture and the language yeah. of the community in which he would set up his literacy community, his literacy circles, right? Um, so, you know, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, his, his work in the 1970s was broader than it was deep and yeah. probably, frankly, might be the least successful of his career. Uh, yeah. You know, I think had he had more time in Brazil before the coup, I think who knows what he would have accomplished. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the fact that he was making so much progress so quickly was one of the reasons that, that really triggered the coup. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. but he never really got to uh, carry it out. You know, and he had also a little bit more luck, um, you know, when he came back to Brazil uh, throughout the 1980s, you know, and he became the Secretary of Education. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and um, he was able to stay and and help build up uh, the school system. And that went um, better too, that had more concrete results. Uh, now, in terms of the theology, um, you know, I think by the 1970s, uh, you know, liberation theology had kind of exploded into, uh, you know, the public consciousness. And, yeah. and as you were saying before, um, it was not necessarily welcomed uh, hmm. at the Vatican, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially into the 1980s with, you know, with, with uh, Pope John Paul II, who was very skeptical um, of liberation theology. Yeah, uh, you know, so I think. Well, and Ratzinger um, too, um, who later yes. became pope, right? With um, yeah, and, Boff, uh, yes, his silence yeah. and uh, yeah, and Ferry was actually very. Um, he was good friends with Gustavo Gutierrez, who mm-hmm. you know a lot of people consider the founding figure yeah. of liberation mm-hmm. theology. Wrote the first major text of modern liberation theology. Uh, but also, I think it's important to note that Ferry wasn't just influenced by liberation theology, uh, but he, it was a two-way um, exchange of ideas. Okay. So a lot of liberation theology, uh, the method of liberation theology drew a lot actually from Ferry's work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea of uh, going to uh, a community and reading and discussing uh, you know, the Gospels, uh, you know, in light of mm-hmm. the everyday experiences of the poor and what does this story mean to you, um, and using that as the key to unlocking the deeper meanings of the text. Uh, it owed a lot to uh, the spirit of Ferry's method, if not exactly the concrete steps that he would take in his own literacy work. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, um, the Gospel of Solentaname for one uh, in Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. um, well, talk more yeah, about. Mary um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, talk more about, uh, if you would, you know, his development of the concept of teaching as vocation which is a very theological term, you know, usually meant for some kind of uh, ministry. Uh, Parker yeah. Palmer, you know, also adopted that language. Um, uh, because, you know, there's um, in higher education sort of a, and we saw this, uh, you mentioned with Peter McLaurin and others who want to dismiss um, the religious side of uh, and theological influences on, on Freire um, uh, as, you know, well, he, as if being religious um, meant, you know, was a, was a ding in, in the intellectual theory of his, <laughs> or being a person of faith would be a ding in the intellectual theory of, of Freire. Um, so uh, he had this whole concept of vocation. If you could flesh that out a little bit uh, because a lot of people are that I know a lot of professors are a little wary of that language yeah I yeah I, I feel like um, the language of vocation is a great way into talking about uh, the role that this that this language plays in, in uh, mm -hmm. thought. Uh, you know because he did use a lot of words like um, you know like vocation or uh, you know, he he often describes the process of transformation as uh, making your Easter. Now, of course, he didn't use that language, uh, you know, with every audience that he talked about. He was actually very good at code shifting, uh, which, you know, I actually think is, is inadvertently one of the reasons why, uh, you know, at least, you know, for certain um, of his audience, the uh the theological dimension of his of his work is kind of a surprise because he he wouldn't talk like that with with every audience oh, but yeah. i think with vocation uh you know i mean again i grew up catholic and you know for catholic vocation has is is one of those words that just is is catholic through and through the idea you know is that every human being um is called to live out a particular form of life uh, in a yeah. way that kind of corresponds with the seed that's been planted in them, in their, you know, and 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 if you live in into your vocations, you know, again, you can you can grow into your full stature as a child of God. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been most often used to describe, of course, people who are going to go into, you know, the priesthood um, yeah. or to, you know a certain religious order to become a nun. Um, but really, you know, it 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 also um, should indicate, you know, for example, um, becoming married and having children is is a kind of vocation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. although it's not, you know, it's not always spoken in that way, spoken about in that way. Um, I, you know, at least for me, when I when I think of vocations and and teaching, you know, I mean, I can only speak for myself, uh, but one of the things that really helped me to think of the work that I do, you know, and I mm -hmm. teach writing at a community college, Yeah, uh, you know, and, you know, you can probably imagine it, you know, it's, it's not an easy place uh, to work, right? Like um, mm -hmm. our, our students are, 
uh, by and large, right, um, quite poor, mm-hmm. uh, very often, you know, educationally disadvantaged. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of students who come in with a lot of needs uh, in terms of their skills, developmental skills. But mm-hmm. even more than that, um, you know, there's often like a lot of, uh, for example, um, undiagnosed mental illness you know, mm. or uh, disabilities of some kind or another. Um, so it can be very challenging uh, to kind of keep on going and, and keep on um, mm-hmm. having a sense of depth and meaning in your work. Um, but yeah. for me, I, you know, I, I often think about the word vocation myself, you know, before I go to class. Like, mm-hmm. This is the place where I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is where, you know, and I, you know, I'm, again, I don't particularly like using churchy language all the time. Um, yeah. And I've never been very comfortable with it. Uh, but, you know, like this is where I'm called to be right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and so what can I bring to this classroom on this day with mm-hmm. this group of students with this lesson in mind? Right. That mm-hmm. can be of the most service. Um, and can help in people's growth. And, you know, I mean, growth is a very vague word, you know, but, you know, as I said before, there's there's so many dimensions to growth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I I think it's it's important when you are in really any profession, but especially something like teaching, it's, it's very easy to lose sight of that because there's so many things that can occupy the surface of your attention from day to day. Mm-hmm. You know, and so many rules and requirements and, you know, this and that. And then you have committees and all these yeah. responsibilities. Yeah. Um, I think it's very important to, to try to keep that overarching sense of meaning and purpose in mind. Um, you know, yeah. because otherwise it can be very deadening. And, you know, if you were in a position of teaching, right, and mm-hmm. you find yourself you know, kind of most of the time, you know, going through the motions or, you know, even starting to view your students with irritation um, or even contempt, which, you know, I have seen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's it's a horrible thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And to me, that, that just seems like a violation of mm-hmm. the position you're in, right? The, uh, the profession you're in. Yeah. And above all, you know, it's, it's just a violation of, of, of what it means to be a teacher in relation to a student. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And just to bring it back to Ferry for a second in the sense of vocation, um, I think mm-hmm. it's extremely um, important when thinking about his educational philosophy, right? Um, of course, it's, it's important to keep the political dimension in mind. I mean, it, it's political Absolutely. through and through yeah. and transformative. But I think it's also at least as important to keep its relational aspect in mind, mm-hmm. right? Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're just people sharing this space together, mm-hmm. relating to each other in certain ways, yeah. right? Um, you know, and Ferry, you know, I mean, he did Ferry talk briefly. I don't, I don't know how deeply he really ever went into reading Martin Buber. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he, he, he a few times this writing made reference to the I and the thou relationship. And, yeah. you know, like, you know, if it's a real 
um, if, if it's a really alive um, and nourishing relationship, you look at each other as, you know, autonomous and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, beings and, and you know, not, you're not trying to kind of use or instrumentalize each other. I think, yeah. it, again, it's, it's very easy, I think, to lapse into that um, in the classroom, especially oh. when the power imbalance is so extreme. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I think um, the way I understand fairy, and, and as I wrote um, in my book, is I think it does his work um, and his legacy a disservice to kind of flatten it into just one dimension, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it's not just, it's not just activism. It's not just relationship. Um, you know, it's not just uh, transformation. It's not just skills. It's really all of them and how they all feed into each other mm-hmm. and shape each other. And then how everything that you're doing, you know, you as a teacher, me as a teacher, I have to be open to letting it shape me as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, otherwise I can't just be like the static, you know, self-contained finished product. And, you know, my whole function there is to just churn out little needs. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, first of all, that's a horrifying thought. Um, But yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that's not teaching. Right. That's, yeah. uh, you know, I, I mean, that's that's kind of like colonizing, you know, <laughs> and, and um, yeah. So, yeah, there, exactly. there, I mean, again, there is there is so much to learn. There is so much to learn. Um, it's his, it, it's endlessly rich. And yeah. I think one of the reasons why, you know, we're still talking about fairy and she'll still be talking about fairy in 50 years. Yeah. Right. Um, is that, you know, I. I, I don't think I've encountered many thinkers who have captured, um, again, so many facets mm-hmm. of, um, you know, of, of the human experience and, and have done so in, in again, in this, this amazingly warm and passionate um, and accessible way that he mm-hmm. does in his best work. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's always worth revisiting, um, especially, again, you know, sometimes, right, the news can get you down. Uh, there's just so much bad news. Uh, and I think there's something in um, a lot of his writings, especially, again, you know, a lot of people don't read some of his last few works, like, um, you know, Pedagogy of Freedom, Pedagogy yeah. of the Heart. These yeah. are wonderful books. Um, oh, in a lot so of too. ways, I enjoy them more. Yeah, yeah, like I enjoy them more than Pedagogy of the Oppressed. I mean, oh, they're easier to read. They might not have the the cutting edge, you know, theory yeah. of the Pedagogy of the Oppressed. But I, I, every time I read them, I I just walk away feeling, you know, like re-energized. Like it's mm-hmm. you no, know, it's again, it's never over, right? Yeah, like, things can always get better. Yeah. So, uh, well, I wanna, yeah, I, wanna I, point- I, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to point to something uh, in the file that you sent me from uh, a writing course that you teach, which were the student papers samples. Um, and and mm-hmm. one thing I noticed is uh, that was particularly Ferreira in was how each of the students began their paper with their own social location, with something from their life experience that um, it a reflection on and a drawing of various um, academic discourses and uh, political discourses in some cases 
that that conversation that they had with those sources in the paper really mattered. And as you said, you know, toward their own growth. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think that's an was similar to some of the assignments that Ira Shore talks about uh, in When Students Have Power, that, um, you know, that kind of Freyan starting with the knowledge base of the students um, and then moving from there, uh, connecting it with theory yeah. and, and also with writing. Um, Absolutely. And there yeah. seemed to be I mean, a sort I, of, I was feeling a real sense of um, uh, power coming from the writing, um, just as an, you know, observer reading it on a screen, you know, that there was a real, there was a real voice um, that was uh, confident, you know, uh, in these papers. Well, that's wonderful to hear. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I, the, by far the most frequent class I teach is, is first year writing. And, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, one of the things that I really like about it is, you know, I mean, you can structure the course or you can pick basically anything you want. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I mean, if I were to be very strictly Frarian, you know, yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't even create a course packed with readings, right? We would, we would spend the first, I don't know, the first month of the semester, uh, yeah. talking with students and, and kind of, you know, pulling out texts together, you know, mm -hmm. and finding things. The reality of it, the practical reality of it is that it, it, there's just not enough time, at least in my institution. We have 12 week semesters, uh, mm. you know, so maybe if we had 15 week, 17 week semesters, you know, mm. I might be, more able to do that. Um, so I have to kind of circumvent that process and pick the text and the articles myself. Uh, but I really do try to uh, find topics that, you know, at least a few of the students can relate to. And it's an extra challenge where I teach, you know, I teach at LaGuardia Community College and it's, um, you know, the students are extraordinarily diverse. Uh, you know, it's in, it's in Queens, which is the most diverse county in the country. And so we have students from, you know, about 80 different countries. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, in any given class, I can have students literally from maybe 15 different places, right, um, all over yeah. the world. You know, so it's, it's again, it's difficult to find, um, you know, I mean, if we had to find questions or topics that we all agreed with, I don't think we would ever get anything done. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but as much as possible, I do try to pick topics, you know, things like, Right, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, consumerism, because you know we all live in a capitalist society. We all have to buy things, right? So, yeah. you know, how do you make the decisions you make? You know, when you buy things, which naturally leads to questions like, mm -hmm. you know, income and wealth and advertising and, and social media and you know mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, but yes, and then you know, I I do try to um, have them write essays, which you know as much as they can, because this can be a challenging assignment. Um, but yes, locate themselves, right? Like, what did you believe mm -hmm. before you encountered these ideas? Um, you know, what response do you have to these ideas? And, you know, if you change your thinking, and you don't have to, right? Because, you know, yeah. I don't want you to pretend you transformed when you didn't, <laughs> because that would just be, you know, yeah, that, I, I mean, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they could pretend that they transformed, but I don't know what good that does. Um, you know, but if it nudged your thinking one way or another, even two degrees, that's something. So tell mm -hmm. me how and why, yeah. right? And you know, and describe which parts of the text spoke to you and why. And of course, you must cite your sources. You know, uh, there's just so many things that we have to deal with. Um, that, yeah, you know, we, you know, I try to. Um, uh, put into print, or you put into practice based on some Farian principles, some of the things that we talked about. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a Farian educator, right? Yeah. Um, you know, because to me, I mean, that's a very, very high standard. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I don't think I've ever met it. I don't think I'm ever going to get close to meeting it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, you know, I can, I can take what I can from yeah. it, um, and again, try to make a little bit of a difference and help the students, yeah, become a bit more critically aware. And you know, that's that's a whole different conversation. What that means, right? Um, yeah, but, yeah, and that's a yeah. good point. And along the way, you know, yeah, and along the way, develop their writing skills and help yeah. them learn how to make an argument essay. You know, it, it's just mm -hmm. there are so many moving parts. Um, I don't think any one class or any one instructor can do it alone. Um, no, you know. no, and that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I too am a failed Freirean most of the time. And I think it's, you know, <laughs> yes. I, and then I guess this is uh, kind of the final area I want to discuss that you also bring up in your book that is more and more before us, which is, um, you know, the neoliberal academy uh, neoliberalism, you know, based on free market economy and sort of the rampant um, capitalist mindset these days and um, an integral pedagogy because we're, you know, those of us who teach in the institutions of higher education, whether contingent or in tenure track, the few uh, fortunate tenure track positions, um, and I think even maybe even more at a, at a community college than a you know, small liberal arts college like I'm in, um, and at major universities, probably even more so, that that uh, that those who attempt to to do whatever they can in terms of democratic dialogical pedagogy are are up against a system that is wired for domestication of students and not their freedom and liberation, and in many ways. Um, and so, uh, you know, around um, concepts of uh, leadership and economic thought and, you know, whatever. Uh, so um, do you have any insights from Ferrari about how those of us who are in these institutions who might be scholar activists um, doing stuff on either on the inside and or the outside, um, easier to do things on the outside, uh, as you've mentioned before from Freire. But um, do you have any insight from him, you know, as we're doing this work and taking risk and with our students, um, how we can do even more, perhaps, I don't, you know, given the current political climate, it seems to be calling us to to step up and I'm not ever sure you know how much that can happen with in my own teaching right. sometimes right um, boy this is something I think about 
obsessively. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, yeah. all the time. One, one of the things, you know, uh, you know, studying Perry um, has by far mostly been a blessing. Oh, it's yeah. also been a curse in that now, you know, the, uh, the the relentless self-examination, uh, you know, and <laughs> yeah, we, it, it's just, you know, you, you can't evade these questions, right? Yeah. Like he, he, he challenges you um, and he doesn't let you off the hook, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do think about this. Uh, I wish I had an answer. My, I mean, I don't, wa- I don't want to say I don't have an answer. I say I'm still thinking about the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. one thing I do know is I think um, we can't be um, too hard on ourselves first of all, for not being able to do as much as we want to. Yeah. Right? Um, as I think we've said uh, and we've discussed a few times, you know, the whole system is set up against it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you know, and, and we are in the system. Right? I mean, we're implicated yeah. in the system. We oh, have yeah. to work within the system. You know? Um, and yet, and yet, mm-hmm. right, we do have some space within the system and the more of us there are, right, you know, within a given field, especially yeah. within a given institution, maybe even within a given department, the more of our, the more of us that are in it, you know, and kind of looking at things uh, critically, you know, the more opportunity we have, again, to nudge things, um, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit this way, a little bit that way. You know, I mean, I think I've used the word nudge a few times, um, mm-hmm. you know, because, I mean, the, the, I think when it comes to um, really uh, taking drastic action or changing things as much as we would like to, you know, yeah. I'm, I don't know how that would really happen. Yeah. Right? yeah. But I do, th- I, but I would never either minimize uh, the impact of, uh, you know, smaller scale changes. Mm-hmm. Because you never really know what's going to lead to what, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, and and again, I think also um, it can be easy for you know those of us who you know we think structurally, we think in terms mm-hmm. of and institutions. Uh, I think we sometimes um, what's that? What's the saying? Right, the forest for the trees. I think we sometimes. Um, look at the whole system at the expense also of looking at the classroom in front of us at this very moment. Yeah. Right. Like the people who are in front of me right now, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, because they're the people who are in front of me right now. Like they're the people I'm kind of living with over the next 12 weeks, 15 weeks, however the semester lasts. Mm -hmm. These are the people, you know, who have a chance to work with and learn from and, teach and maybe even change a little bit yeah. you know and and i think again we always i think have to balance right um yeah the big picture and the small picture right and then the present and the long term you know yeah and Ferry himself talked about being um you know we have to be impatiently patient yeah. or was it patiently yeah. impatient one of those right one of those koans he you know mm-hmm. he came up with mm-hmm. um you know so yeah, I, you know, again, I, I don't have a satisfactory um, answer yet myself, but I do think 
you know, there are a lot of people who are asking these questions, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. like this is not just like a, a scattered thing here and there, um, you know. So, I think the more that we can kind of talk about them, the more we can try to enact what we can at the classroom level, at the administrative level, mm-hmm. right? Again, mm-hmm. these things add up. Yeah. And if nothing else, I think one of the things that, at least in the U.S., the political situation is, has demonstrated to me in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. sometimes preventing worse things from happening is every bit as important as making huge advances in the right direction, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like sometimes just holding ground is already a huge accomplishment, Yeah, you know? So I think they need to find the good things where you can find them. I think you have to find spaces where you can make change where you can. Um, and again, you know, I think as long as we, just, again, the one thing you can't do is not try. Yeah. You know, the the yeah. one thing you can't do is to despair and to give up. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think as long as you keep, you know, as long as you keep it alive and you keep it moving forward or at least not moving backward. Yeah. Right. That can be a huge contribution in itself because, again, you never really know what's going to happen next. Yeah. And it's having these conversations with and about Freire and with students um, who may or may not be changed, but may or may not change us as teachers at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, because change is difficult, right? I mean, like, you know, I know uh, for myself, right? I mean, like, you know, I've been in therapy for all these issues for all these years, right? Change is slow. Um, Change Mm -hmm. is difficult, right? Um, So, you know, I wouldn't expect so much change to happen in one semester Mm -hmm. with a few students who I see twice a week for, you know, 12 weeks. Yeah. Right? Right. But... I think sometimes, um, you know, planting a seed, mm-hmm. that can be something very, very important. Yeah. Yes. Because I, you know, I tell myself, right, like, um, you know, who, who knows, um, you know, where my students go with a lot of the ideas that, you know, they get exposed to in, in my class, but at least now they've heard them. Mm, yeah. You know, and maybe, you know, two, three, five, 20 years later, um, that idea popped into their head again. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and mysterious things happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Again, just keep on moving things forward where you can. Yes, and enacting hope. Uh, so, mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you so much for doing this conversation. Um, oh, it's and, a pleasure. Uh, and for your book, A Pedagogy of Faith, The Theological Vision of Paulo Freire. You've been listening to the December 2018 episode of Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy Podcast. The Nothing Never Happens team includes our audio engineers, China Wilson, with assistance from Megan Simmons, and editing by Reagan Turner. Theme music is by Aviva and the Flying Penguins and Lance Eric Hagen, and they also do the interstitial music. And there is additional music by Paul Myrie. And if you go to the website, you can see their connecting websites. Thank you for listening.